Hello and welcome to the October 19th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. It is awesome to have everybody here with me today, and of course, it is wonderful to be out there with you. So I'm not really too sure where my mind is at today in terms of focusing, and I say that because normally, using my um, podcasting equipment, which is quite honestly, nothing special. (laughs) It's actually a Galaxy phone, for those of you who are wondering, and a relatively good headset. Um, Usually, I have no issues making an introduction. And obviously, everybody knows that my introduction is the date. Uh, I'll tell you guys what date it is. And here's the interesting thing. Of all the things that you would think I report on, you would think that I would outline my content, especially when I am talking about certain topics or mental illnesses or very specific things that revolve around the educational portion or aspects of a mental illness or a, um, a, a, an addiction issue or something related to drugs or just in my life in general, but I don't. The only thing that I do is I write down the date. Because for some reason, I obsessively, compulsively, because I believe that every single time that I report on my podcast or record on my podcast, that initially I'm going to get the date wrong. No matter how many times I say it in my head or look at it, I always feel that I'm going to get it wrong. So I obsess over being wrong and the compulsion that I engage in, well, very easily, I write down the date on a piece of paper. And I say I've lost focus today because I had to restart four different occasions in terms of my introduction. And when I say introduction, hello, today is the October 19th edition. Here's the interesting thing why I had to stop and re-record. On the piece of paper that I have right there, and I just shook it for those of you who are wondering... I wrote down October 19th, 2016. I'm two years behind. I don't know why, but I'm two years behind, Um, which is absolutely insane. And I actually kept saying 2016. Now, I believe I did that three times. The fourth time, I just, I think I just completely messed up the entire line because I was so worried about saying 2016 again. Uh, now, I, I, listen, if I rationalize here and think about where I got the 2016 from, I'm thinking maybe in the back of my mind, I'm saying to myself, because one thing I'd like to report to my audience is that today is officially six days sober for Mr. Joe. So maybe the 2016 has been derived from the fact that I wanted to report that I am six days sober, so I keep replacing the eight with a six. God only knows, guys. I mean, I know this is not a big deal, but 
but I always like to tie in aspects of my mental illness into our podcast, our journey, and I would think that somebody who can't rely on his memory, of which is very good, because they are constantly in fear of messing something up, such as simple as a date. Um, it's, it's just mind-boggling. It really is that I, I choose to write that down every day, and I've actually never shared that with you guys. But I figured now is the time to do it because I messed up and because it was related to the 2016. So where my focus is today, I'm not really sure. Maybe it's at the simple fact that I am six days clean, which, by the way, is not saying a whole lot. Um, people would tend to disagree with me if I was at an Alcohols Anonymous meeting right now I would be clapped for people would stand up and clap for me because I'd say I was six days sober so it is a big deal it's a big deal when you're an addict it's a big deal when you're an alcoholic or a combination of the two um, you know we could just call ourselves an addict for that matter of a fact because doesn't matter whether we're doing drugs or drinking alcohol. It's all drug abuse, really, is what it comes down to. And I come up with the six days because although I left on a Saturday to come back home, technically Friday night, I... Oh, I'm sorry. I left on a Friday to come back home. Technically, Friday doesn't count because I was bombed out of my mind on Thursday night and now the more that I think about it there goes my focus again because if you think about Friday night not being in the count so to speak that means Saturday Sunday Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday we're at Friday so we're actually at seven days sober so that makes it even more interesting because I was wrong with the six and the 2016 doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But I guess if the six was in my mind the whole time, I mean, this is this is idiotic stuff to be, even be talking about, to be honest, which it's actually um, irrelevant content for our podcast. I think, though, what it does prove to you all is that Mr. Joe's a little out there, um, definitely a little bit out there. And it's interesting because I I wanted to talk about stress today and my stress level and while I wasn't going to brag that I've been handling it relatively well it's interesting because I thought that I was handling it well but clearly from a cognitive standpoint which is interesting because you know, stress will oftentimes affect us emotionally or behaviorally, um, and I don't really know or can I recall a time where stress has affected me from a cognitive level. And cognitive basically means, you know, our, our thinking, our intelligence, so to speak. Uh, cognitively, you know, numbers and, and writing and, and um, overall thinking about facts. And, you know, let's put it like this. Academics is a cognitive thing. Um, and, you know, when I'm stressed, that's usually when my bipolar disorder is all out of whack and, you know, I'll go up, I'll go down. And the interesting thing this time around is that my stress level, as high as it might be, has not really messed me up from a mood swing standpoint. It seems to have affected me more on a cognitive level. 
um, which can be more or less um, displayed by my inability to think about the proper numbers. It's it's almost taken place in my speech, as you can see. It's um, I have a fogginess in my head that has you know prevented me from communicating and, and saying the things that I want to say. There's a lot of stuttering that's going on. So I've definitely been cognitively impaired, so to speak. But mood-wise, I'm relatively stable, I have to tell you. And you say to yourself, what is Mr. Joe so stressed about? Well, I'll tell you this. I've said many, many times that I need the gym. I do. I need to work out. And unfortunately, I'm starting to realize that there is just no way in the world to fit this in. It's a very, very simple thing here, guys. If I want to get this gym in, I really honestly got to go at 5 a.m. in the morning. And I'm just not cut out for it. It's, it's The weather is changing in Mr. Joe's neighborhood. And it's a little bit more difficult to get up in the morning. Is that seasonal change that is going on, which is making me extremely tired in the morning. To be honest with you, the only thing that gets me going is a cup of coffee along with Wellbutrin. And once I take that Wellbutrin, I, I am definitely raring and ready to go for the day. But, you know, I'm not about to take my Wellbutrin at 5 a.m. I'm really not, um, because I just feel like after taking it for so long at 7 o'clock in the morning, the latest 8 a.m., it barely gets me through a day as it is, so I just feel as if I started my day at 5 a.m. Um, and popped my Wellbutrin, I'd just be shot by the end of the day, and I, you know, I, I would find myself basically exhausted before the 5 o'clock bell rang for work dismissal. So it's basically get up, Mr. Joe, get up, 5 a.m., by 5.15, you're out the door. And I've tried it a couple of times, and while I felt good... Afterwards, I didn't feel good enough to keep saying to myself, keep on doing it. Because the pros certainly didn't outweigh the cons. Cons being that I can't even keep my eyes open at that time. I can't even get my contact lenses in. I mean, you got to see the production in the morning when I try to get up and get out of the house at 5.15. I mean... You know, my my hot water takes forever to turn on in the home for some reason. So I turn it to the left. I sit there while it's warming up because, God forbid, I put cold water on my face to splash. Um, I'm such a baby when it comes to coldness that I'm sitting there waiting for the hot water to turn on. And sometimes I fall asleep while I'm waiting. You know, and then I splash and I try to clean my eyes up a little bit because i got to get my contact lenses in. And my eyes are just so tired that I pop them in, and then I'm blinking, and I'm like, oh, my God, it feels like I have dirt in my eyes. I take them out, I clean them again, I pop them in, and I'm cursing, and I'm saying, I can't do this. And it's just, it's insane. It really is. And then, interestingly enough, I make a cup of coffee. I eat a protein bar that's filled with a lot of carbohydrates, by the way, because if it wasn't, there's no way I'd be able to function. And um, by that point in time, once I'm in the car, believe it or not, I'm usually good to go. But it's getting to that point that it's just a nightmare. And really what it comes down to is there's no good time for me to go other than that. I mean, I work until 5 p.m. I get home at 5.30. My wife 
goes to work. I'm with little Mickey, and if I'm lucky, she gets home at a decent hour that we could actually eat dinner together. And I've and I've I've talked about this before, but more more and more, I'm starting to realize that as her pregnancy goes on, she needs me there because she's not feeling great. Kind of unfair that when she, as soon as she's with me, she's with our son all day long, which. By the way, can be quite um, a challenge. You know, I know everybody might think that being at home and not necessarily working is a nice thing. Which, by the way, she is working two jobs because she's taking care of a child, and she is working for my former company that I used to work for, and she's doing both of those things. So when I come home and I take over, it's only for a couple of hours while she goes out and works more direct services with children with autism. So when she comes back, it's almost like I hand them back over and, you know, she's responsible for the bedtime routine and, you know, all those things. So I kind of feel bad doing it. And the other thing is, I never thought, and I'm proud to say this, I've never really realized how much of an executive or a senior staff member or, you know, a higher up I was considered in this new company. It's really actually an honor. And the more I realize that, the more I see that I'm included in things that most coworkers are not included in. You know, um, I'm lumped in with the CEO. I'm lumped in with a, a, a president, a director. I'm on the same level as all of them. And I probably should have knew that when they would call senior staff meetings and there would only be 10 of us and I'd be one of the 10. But I'm starting to see now there's more to the responsibilities of a person that's a senior staff level other than a nine to five. You get invited to things, you got to go places. And that's the other thing. It's like when I get invited to these nighttime events, well, ultimately it messes up my wife's schedule. So she kind of has to cancel her work in the afternoon, and sometimes she's got to double up the next day, which completely makes it impossible to go to the gym. So I'm stressed about those things. I'm stressed about the kids. I'm stressed about all three of them. Mickey hasn't been himself. He's never been sick in 17 months, but I'll tell you right now, he's definitely getting sick. First time for everything, because either he's teething or he's got something viral going on because his poops have been a little bit off and his attitude, he's been a monster, an absolute monster. As for my other two, I'm not necessarily stressed about them. I'm stressed about the situation in which my ex-wife, the witch, you know, she makes everything very difficult, as you all know. So you put all those things together and then add on top of that money, which is a real concern of mine, and, you know, my friends will always say, don't worry, it'll work out. Everything always finds a way of working itself out. But, you know, I'm concerned. I'm concerned about money. And here's why. I was under the impression, this is how much of a dummy I am. I was under the impression that my wife, uh, who is a school teacher, they were to hold her position for five years from the time the oldest child is born now she's been home for about two years already well, this will be her second year something along those lines so I'm counting down the time and thinking to myself before you know it she'll be back she'll be back I don't have to pay $22,000 for health insurance because 
she'll have the money. I mean, she'll have the insurance. And then guess what, guys? That's, an, that's over $22,000 that will go back into our household income. So I can't wait for her to get back to work. However, here's why I'm a dummy. All along, I've been misinterpreting the rules. And apparently, my wife has, up until the, the youngest child is five years old. <laughs> Which means, technically, she could stay home for another five years. Because my baby's not even born yet. I mean, do you believe this? And here is where I am struggling. And we're going to branch out into two separate sections. She can go back to work, and both my children can go into daycare. And they'll probably be there between 10 and 12 hours a day, basically the way our schedules are, in terms of the time we'd have to leave in the morning, by the time we get home with traffic, 10 to 12 hours a day. I, at that point, I don't even know if it's her, worth her going back to work because of the expense. It'd just be astronomical. It'd be like a third mortgage. I mean, we got our first mortgage. I got my child support payment. And then, I mean, it'd just be a nightmare. So we'd be losing the health insurance payment. But essentially, we'd be adding that to the daycare, possibly even more. Um, and our children would be in a daycare all day long. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think it's actually a very good thing to have children go into a daycare, to get that exposure, that socialization, that peace that, quite honestly, my little guy is missing right now. And that my older ch children missed for quite some time. Uh, my son got it a little bit. You know, my daughter also, some preschool exposure. Um, and I think I, I think I prepared them enough for school, for kindergarten. But, you know, it's important. But those things can be accomplished just through a, you know, a little preschool program. Listen, some people have absolutely no choice, and I get it. But we do have a choice. Now, I wish the choice was that I could go to her mother or her father and have them watch our children. But, you know, she doesn't want to rely on anybody. Her mother's still working. Her father's retired. You would think that maybe I could go to him, and it's not like he's got to do it forever. You know, if my, now, listen, I'm not asking him to do it for five years. Maybe if my wife stayed home another year, at that point in time, my older guy, Mickey, would be uh, ready for like a preschool. And, you know, really, they, grandma and grandpa would really only have to do it for like four years or three and a half years, let's say. And there's an expiration date to it, if that makes sense, because at that point in time, both my kids will be in school. They'll be in kindergarten. And if they do have to go into a daycare or an after-school program, something along those lines, it's only a couple of hours, and it is what it is. My older children had to do it. They couldn't be picked up on time at 3, 3 o'clock or whatever dismissal it was, 3.30. Neither me nor the ex-witch was home. Although I will say for about 13 years I was because I was able to work my schedule around my children while my ex-witch did basically nothing. And because I had my own business, I would, I would pick them up, I would drop them off, I would do the cooking, the cleaning. The, uh, I don't even want to get into it. It'll make me sick. Anyway, so the only other option here is to have my wife continue 
doing what she's doing, and that's to stay home. And you might say, well, how are you getting by right now? Well, I've explained many, many times that she's an independent contractor, and she has the luxury of doing those cases after school, and because she's an independent contractor and she doesn't have to clock in anywhere, there's really no, let's put it this way, and not that she's taking advantage and not following the rules, but essentially my wife cannot work during school hours. So if she was to be on, let's say, a payroll and had to clock in and out, she could lose her job. They'll only hold your position if you show them that you're providing childcare for your kid and you don't have any. Not that you're sitting at home working. Now, in addition to the direct services that she's providing for the children with autism, and I've told you many, many times before, my ex, my wife is working for the company that fired me. And she essentially runs that department. And here's my biggest concern. Let's just say our plan is to continue this way, which, yeah, we're just getting by. We're skating by, by the skin of our teeth, literally. But let's say we were able to make it work for the next five years. Five years. That means from the moment I hit stop on this podcast recording until five years from now, I essentially have to poop in my pants every single day wondering whether my wife is going to get fired from that piece of garbage place. I really feel that way. I don't trust them. I don't trust them with her. And I think it's a risk every single day that she remains independently employed with them. I believe it's a risk to the well-being of our life. And I say that because she does about 25 hours a week of independent contracting services for my former department where she doesn't have to punch in. Let's leave it at that. So you tell me where she is going to find a job that allows her to make that much money and do what she is currently doing right now. She won't find one. There's no way. Not that she's making a killing, but she has the ability to put in that many hours along with her direct services, in which she does make a killing. The unfortunate thing is she wouldn't be able to replace those 25 hours with direct services because there's not enough time in a day for her to do those. So what it comes down to is I'm fearful. I'm fearful that she is relying on a company that I feel as if we cannot trust. I can't express this any any more than what I'm going to say right now. And I, and I know that we've said I never wanted to talk about this company again. But I'm going to tell you this. I promise you all that there was not a thing in seven years with that company that I did wrong that was worthy of termination. Nothing. Nothing. Even if there was a question regarding my certification in, in terms of what I referred to myself as because I was unaware of the rules and regulations of the board. I was never informed about them. 
I never had any knowledge about it. And most importantly, whatever I was accused of in terms of certification, I didn't do it on purpose. So the worst thing that happened to Mr. Joe in seven years was something that I didn't even know I was doing wrong and that I had been doing for seven years. And all of a sudden, one day, what was love and respect and, and admiration and compliments and my goodness you grew this department and you're such a big part of it and where would we be without you was get the hell out of our building the drop of a dime I've never in my life been so appreciated somewhere and I'm not saying that they bowed down to me Listen, my boss was really the one who appreciated me. She was the one who complimented me on a daily basis. It, it felt good. I knew she loved me. I loved her. We worked great together as a team. We, we le would lean on one another. We loved each other, and I still do love her. But in terms of upper management, I knew every time that they complimented me, they were just stroking me. I mean, really. It really didn't mean a whole lot. But I thought for sure that they liked me. I really did. I thought for sure that they valued me. And it's just amazing to see that I've never felt so valued at a place where, or, or by a person, or by an organization, or by anybody, in such a way where it would be a complete 360, where one day I would feel a certain way, and then the next day it was like, you know, I'm hated. I mean, think about it. I got a promotion. Got a promotion. And three days later, I was gone. I mean, you want to talk about a range of emotions. So, anyway, I know I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but what it comes down to is I am fearful that she is going to lose that position at some point because once they, once they figure things out and they're able to function without her and no longer have to pay her, and I don't know, may not, may not happen, because I don't honestly think that they can function without her. But what if they find somebody else that could do it? What's going to stop them from getting rid of her? They didn't care about me. They're not going to care about her. And if that happens, guys, Mr. Joe is going to come on and say, Hello, give you the date, and I'll say, Welcome to Mr. Joe's depression I'm this close to suicide, bipolar podcast. Because I don't know how I'll go on. I really don't. I don't know how I'll survive that. I, I, the stress level would be so immense. The fact that I wouldn't be able to pay child support and do all those things that i got to do to support my family. It would just be horrible. Now, you want to kick off the story today or the podcast in terms of a stressful situation, which is why I commend myself in the sense where, yes, cognitively I'm off, but mood-wise I'm okay, is because, get this, and I think you're going to find this story to be fascinating, and I apologize if it's a little boring. Um, for those of you who don't recall, I had a situation in which I went through a horrible implanting, uh, tooth implant procedure. And I'm not going to get into it again. Ultimately, what ended up happening was um, my tooth was pulled. I had a bone graft. The doctor put the screw in too early. Screw fell out a couple of weeks ago. 
did another bone graft. We had to wait months and months and months, much longer than the first time for things to get better. He did it properly the second time around, put the screw in, then you got to wait like another close to a year for the screw to osteogenerate into the bone. And then once that happens, you take, you expose the screw, you put a healing cap on, and then eventually you can, boom, you could go into your dentist and get your cosmetic piece done. So um, I finally had that done back in March, I believe, of this past year. So it would be March of 2018. Okay, so March, March, January, February, March, April, March, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October. So about seven and a half months, let's say that. I've had my cosmetic piece with the permanent implant in my mouth. Now, I haven't explained really. I gave you a, a, a synopsis there of how much hell I went through. But what could have been like a year-long procedure ended up becoming almost three years. So could you imagine walking around with a flipper tooth, your front tooth, having no tooth for nearly three years? Okay, that's what I had to deal with. So it was an absolute nightmare. I was self-conscious. I had no confidence. I hated, I hated my life. I did. And I'm not embarrassed to say it. I hated my life. I hated the fact that I would be at so many professional events and I'd have to eat and I'd have to... You, you had to see Mr. Joe. I used to... Sometimes I would cough into my arm and spit my flipper out into my hand because I, I had to get it out. So I'd do this little action where I'd go, <clears throat> and I'd spit into my hand, I'd put my flipper in my hand, and then I'd sneak it into its little case, and I would eat, and I'd have my head down the whole time during dinner so nobody could see my big gap in the front of my face. And then I'd excuse myself, go back to the bathroom, and stick the flipper in, and then you best believe if anything else came for dessert or little treats afterwards, I didn't eat them. I didn't eat them because it was such a nonsensical way to go about living, taking that flipper in and out because you couldn't eat with it. And I wasn't going to be around professionals with no tooth. I mean, I'm sorry, but I know this. I've been around hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of professionals at the same time over the course of the last 20 years, and I cannot recall a single one of them having no front tooth. So I certainly wasn't going to be the first one to have that. Now, I'm sure maybe somebody had a flipper tooth just like me, but whatever. I didn't want to deal with it. So something I failed to mention, before I got on the plane this past trip, uh, I started feeling a little weird up in my implant area, but not actually where the implant was placed, but rather right below my right nostril. Now, interestingly enough, anytime I had issues with this tooth, it would always start, the pain would start more up in my gums, right underneath that nostril. Um, and the pain, when I got home at, off the plane this trip, started before. When I came home, it started to get worse. And interestingly enough, the pain really only was there when I would flare my nostrils, if that makes any sense. It wasn't a, it wasn't an ongoing pain. It wasn't a pain that, you know, was like um, that pulsating pain. It wasn't like that. Matter of fact, I didn't need to use any kind of pain medication, not once. No Advil, no Tylenol. It was just you flare your nostrils or move your nose the wrong way, you feel it. 
So then all of a sudden, a couple of days ago, it's getting worse, and now I'm starting to have this yucky taste in my mouth. And I'm saying to myself, well, this is not good. So I start looking up, of course, on Google, all the things that could be wrong, how, how it feels when an implant fails. And I'm reading the implant section, uh, failure. And one of the main things that happen is the tooth wiggles because, as you can imagine, the screw is about to fall out because it's failing. And for some reason, my screw now, my tooth is very secure and it's not wiggling. So I'm like, eh. But then it says, if you have pain anywhere near your implant, that's not normal. We, it, an implant is supposed to feel just like a regular tooth. You don't, you're not even supposed to know it's there. And I got to tell you, from the day that I had my cosmetic piece put on, I've always known it's there. I've never felt exactly right with that tooth there. But nevertheless, even more so now, it didn't feel right, especially with this nose movement. So I had pain. But yet I didn't have, um, you know, that tooth wiggling going on. Now, if I read a little bit more, there's actually something called an abutment that is attached to the screw and the cosmetic piece, and that's attached by a, um, another screw. And I read a lot of places that if that screw becomes loose, it could cause a little bit of pain with the implant. You'll have this yucky taste in your mouth. So I was a little bit more geared up towards that, saying, my God, please make it be a screw. Now, how he was going to get this thing off, being that it was cemented on, and I, I, don't, I didn't want to think about it. I, I did not sleep a wink the other night before going to the dentist thinking about how he was going to accomplish this um, but of course you know I didn't sleep and I went to the dentist about three o'clock and this was actually on Wednesday Wednesday I went to the dentist three o'clock uh, during my lunch break and I was there till about five o'clock so now when I got in they sat me down and the dentist wasn't there yet so the nurse takes the x-ray. Now keep in mind what I just said to everybody. I've done research. Days of research, okay? Really trying to look into what is going on. And along with that research, I am now looking at x-rays of failed implants. So I say to myself, when that x-ray comes up, before that dentist even comes in the room, I'm going to know what's up. Because I learned. And just to give you an idea, an x-ray will come up and you see the screw into the gum area, into the bone, basically in your jaw bone, or in my case, the upper jaw. You see the screw, and around the screw, completely touching the screw, you, sh you should see white. White, of course, being the bone. And if you see the screw surrounded by white, you know that the bone is there. It hasn't faded away. It's not going bad. Nothing is happening and you're surrounded by bone. Now, if you see black around the screw, that's indicative of the fact that your implant is failing and the bone, for some reason, is basically caving in and you have no bone there. Think about it. It's black. It's ready to fall out, the screw, so the, which means your tooth is ready to fall out. So the x-ray comes up, and sure as hell, there is a halo of black around the screw. And I wanted to die. I said to the nurse, oh, my God, I know. I know it's failing. She goes, what are you talking about? It's not failing. You don't know that. I said, look at all that black. And she said, no, that's bone. And I'm thinking to myself, well, this, this wackadoo doesn't know anything. And she says, just wait for the dentist. So 
I'm waiting, and in strolls Fran. Fran is the secretary. Fran is the secretary who overcharges me every single time, and I got to wait to get reimbursed. Fran is the secretary who charged me my insurance deductible yesterday, which I feel like I've met eight billion times since I've been there this year. Which quite right, uh, exactly, I have. I checked afterwards, and I did. And anyway, I got to get that money back. But in strolls Fran because she knew I was upset. I was upset when I arrived, and. She tried to calm me down, tell her everything was going to be okay. So she comes in, she puts her hand on my, like, knee. She goes, you okay, honey? I said, yeah. I go, Fran, look up there. It was like a big TV screen because it it starts on the uh, little computer, but it's actually projected onto a screen in front of you. And I said, look, Fran, look up there. I go, it's over. I go, I don't know what I'm going to do. This is going to be the third time that I have to now get an implant. I'm not going back. I'm not going through this again. I'll do a bridge. I'll do anything. I don't care. You know, I know they'll do it for free. They'll do another bone graft. They'll make me wait. I'll have to put the screw in again, which means I'm going to have to get my flipper done again. I'm like, I don't want to do it. I want to do the bridge. I said, you know, so take a look, Fran. She looks up and she goes, oh, my dear. So she starts pointing like a school teacher would point on a blackboard. I'm so sorry. She's like, yeah, you're right. It, it's it's failing. Uh, you know, I don't know what. Do you smoke? I said, no, I don't smoke. Some people, they just don't, they reject it. You said you had it failed once already. I said, yeah. And she goes, yep. All that black means there's no bone left. I'm so sorry. She goes, but you know what? You'll figure it out. We'll talk to the doctor. He'll help you make a decision. So then the nurse comes back in. And she moves me because the doctor's still not there. So they had, for some reason, they had to put somebody else in that room. She moves me. Now I'm actually crying. I'm crying and I'm texting my wife because she was the one who told me to stay positive and stop worrying like I always do and assuming something is going to go wrong. And she is devastated, too, because she knows in her heart how badly I don't want to go through this again. She felt for me. She really did. And... You know, I told her, and she said, oh, you know, the doctor, I can't be, she's like, you sure that's your option? I said, well, the doctor didn't come in yet, Fran told me. She said, what are you listening to Fran for? And I said, I really don't need to listen to Fran. I said, I saw it with my own eyes. So, finally, the dentist comes in, I shake his hand, and he goes, what's going on? I said, did you see the x-ray yet, doc? I said, I am just so sad. He's like, yeah, he's like, I heard. He's like, your implant is not working out, huh? And I said, well, no, unfortunately it's not, doctor. I don't know what my options are. Um, you know, I really don't. I don't know what to do. So he starts talking to me about the bridge and about some of the things that I could do. I got to go back to my oral surgeon, all the things that I didn't want to hear, which made me absolutely sick. He's like, you know what, lay back and let's see what's going on here. So he puts his hand in my mouth. He starts pressing all around and nothing hurts. Nothing hurts at all. He starts shaking the tooth. He's like, huh, this is in like a rock. Very solid. He goes, none of this hurts. I said, no, Doc, it's just when I, when I um, flare my nostrils. He said, well, you know, I was under the impression because Fran told me that your tooth was moving. I said, I never said that my implant was moving. He said, oh, he goes, you're certainly not moving. He goes, let me take a look at this x-ray. He pulls the x-ray up, and there it is, the black all around and I'm saying to myself, well, man, this stinks, you know, like got black all around. 
And all of a sudden, he takes the mouse. And if you could imagine when you have a picture on a screen, on a computer, and you take your mouse and you're able to adjust the brightness, all of a sudden, he starts adjusting this brightness. And lo and behold, white, white begins to appear around the screw. Okay? Different kind of white, but the contrast was off. And all of a sudden, I see white. And he says to me, wait a second. He goes, there is bone here. He goes, I, he goes you know, now, listen, right at the gum line, Joe, he said, you are, you know, missing a little bit of bone. He goes, which, though a lot of times is normal, it kind of fades away. He goes, but for the most part, this entire screw is filled with bone. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So from what went from crying to complete joy, and now I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to murder this woman. How dare a secretary tell me and hurt me like that? Things that she doesn't know a damn thing about. So ultimately, we had to figure out what was happening. And it's funny because I passed by so many times the word infection when I was reading, because the first reason why somebody would get an infection is poor oral hygiene. And I knew that was not me. I knew it. I floss hundreds of times a day, probably more than I should, because again, I'm obsessed with cleanliness. So I feel like I need to compulsively floss. I brush properly. I use a water pick. Well, here's the problem. Nobody ever taught me how to properly floss around that implant. And it's very interesting because when you have a front tooth implant, there's actually a screw very high up in the gum line that is placed. And if you were to leave the screw there into the tooth, and if you smile, you would actually see the screw. So what the dentist ordered for me when he made this little contraption he made a tooth with actually a fake gum attached to it, and that covers the screw so nobody could see it. It blends in with your other gum. Well, apparently, think about this, for seven months now, I've been flossing that area long, wrong. You're supposed to go up in between the teeth and kind of behind that fake gum area, which I've never done a day in my life. So now he starts flossing, and it's hurting. And I'm like, oh, my God, that hurts. And he's like, well, that's because you've never been where you're supposed to be. Now, for those of you who don't floss properly, if you do try to floss, it actually hurts. You can make yourself bleed. Um, now, and that's exactly what starts happening. But as he's flossing and getting deeper in there, each and every time, it's actually feeling a little bit better. They say, I think that you have an infection. That's all this is. Now, listen, I'm not out of the woods yet. You all know how I am. You all know the way I feel about things that I never am positive about anything. But I am on antibiotics. It, it doesn't seem to be getting better yet. It's only been a day, but it absolutely is not getting worse. And I feel a little bit better, guys, about the entire thing, knowing that at least I got bone there. So it's not going anywhere. My tooth is stable. I got an implant that's still in there. Listen, if it goes, I'm getting a bridge. I'm not dealing with this anymore. But that's the kind of stress that I've been in, you know. And I, I want to, I want to really, I want to punch that woman in her face. How dare she 
do this stuff to me? How dare somebody? And I'm not saying that a secretary is not knowledgeable. That's not what I'm saying. But I would believe a secretary who does not have a Ph.D. or a doctoral degree or, or is a licensed practitioner has the right to diagnose anybody with anything and to make somebody feel like I felt. I really don't. I don't think it's fair. So, you know, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that we might be okay. And obviously, I'll keep everybody posted with that. And so it's been a stressful few days. It really has. It's been stress. A lot of stretch. But as we, as we said, cognitively, Mr. Joe's off the wall. Mood-wise, I seem to be doing all right, which I'm grateful for. And most importantly, most importantly, Mr. Joe is seven days clean. So I'm happy to report that as well. If you need to reach out to me for any reason whatsoever, give me an email. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to answer some questions, see how you're feeling, see what you're doing. Um, give me an update on your life, and uh, I'd be happy to read it and respond like I always do. It's Mr. Joe BP at yahoo.com. If you'd like to find me on Twitter, I'm at Mr. Bipolar Joe. You could always give me a tweet be happy to communicate with you on there as well uh, so keep that in mind i'm always open to communicate and um you know as always thank you for allowing me into your life and taking this podcast journey with me uh in closing i'd like to say a few things first and foremost if you are living with a mental illness and you're doing well right now i ask you to continue to work hard if you love or you care about somebody with a mental illness and that uh, person is struggling right now, I ask you to continue to support that person in the very best way that you know how. And if you are struggling right now yourself with a mental illness or an addiction, I ask you to keep fighting and keep battling. And most importantly, soldier on. Thank you so much for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Everybody have a great day. I'll talk to you again real soon.